welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll. And once again, all about the rock and roll today, about Christian rock and roll with one of my favorite Christian heavy metal bands and pioneers of the whole genre, talking about Blood Good. And we also got the Duff McKagan joke of the week. Hey, Jericho, Duff Collins. Hope you're doing well, man. Uh, you know, listen, a, a good friend of mine told me I uh, make people uncomfortable by violating their personal space. Uh, it was a really hurtful thing to say, and it totally ruined me and my friend's bath. Thank you very much. Bye. <laughs> oh, that was good. <laughs> Sometimes they're bad, but that one was good. I like that. But thanks to the way to Duff McKagan for sharing them right here on Talk is Jericho every single Friday. And thanks to all of you for hanging out with the Winnipeggers every Thursday night at 9 p.m. Eastern on my Facebook page and YouTube channel. New episode just went up last night. Grab a drink and laugh along with me and Ribo. And uh, Spiwi, and we talked about, uh, what did we talk about last night? We talked about uh, whether or not we were alcoholics, because the week before we went a little bit off the rails, drank a little bit too much, and uh, <laughs> the show was kind of a train wreck as a result. So we now take a survey to find out if we are actually alcoholics or not. So check that out, Winnipeggers, uh, Thursday night at 9, and actually next Thursday at 7.30 p.m., we are going live with uh, the imitation contest, the great imitation contest where you guys decide the imitations that we do. Uh, so go check that out. And while you're checking out uh, the Winnipeggers, go online and pick yourself something up for my new clothing line, Painmaker Apparel, in association with Champion Sports. All the designs are inspired by my time and tours of Japan uh, as the Painmaker and, and prior. Hoodies, T-shirts, sweatsuits, tracksuits uh, for girls and guys. Go to painmaker.store. Uh, and you can check out all those designs. And don't forget my upcoming new book, The Complete List of Jericho. Got all my matches from the first 30 years of my career. Top 10 lists, stories and comments about my career from some of the biggest stars in pro wrestling history. Pre-order The Complete List of Jericho and get a 90-minute audio log, audio commentary of uh, some of my matches that you guys chose. So you get all that. Just go to Jericho30.com. And don't forget about Little Bit of the Bubbly. A uh, little bit, a little bit of the bubbly, a little bit of the bubbly.com to get your uh, bubbly just in time for Christmas. We've already sold over half the uh, the stock that we had. So if you want it, go get it because it's going to be a long time before we put it up on sale again. All right. Now that all the plugs are done, I've waited a long time to have Bloodgood on Talk is Jericho. Bass player Michael Bloodgood and singer Les Carlson finally on Talk is Jericho, one of my all time favorite Christian heavy metal bands talking all about their early days, how they formed and came up with the band name, uh, how they were able to get this genre into the mainstream, how the first show they ever played was opening for Striper, uh, talk about the stigma they faced in the States for being a Christian rock band, how accepted they were in Europe for the exact same reason. Uh, they've got stories about the writing and recording of their classic Detonation album, the massive nine-month-long tour they did in 1987, and the stage show and props that made up the Shake in the World show it was a classic tour. Also talking about the new full-length documentary, Trenches of Rock, now available on Blu-ray and DVD at bloodgoodband.com, chronically the band's almost 40-year history, directed by Mike's son, Paul Michael Bloodgood. It's a great documentation of one of the first and one of the best Christian heavy metal bands. Let's get started with Michael Bloodgood and Les Carlson right now, right here on Talk is Jericho. Les is here, Mike's there, and Chris is here. 
the yeah, modern there and everywhere. The modern uh, version of the Three Stooges uh, have now. Hey, <laughs> 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 well, I can't see. I can't see. <laughs> I, I'm just gonna go, man. Um, one of the cool things about having this show for so many years is getting to talk to people that I've never met but always wanted to, and. Bloodgood is one of those groups of people. Mike Bloodgood is here and Les Carlson is here. First of all, amazing to meet you guys via the phone after being a fan since 1987. Wow, that's amazing. I love it. Yeah, and it's uh, perfect timing for it, too, because of, of, of the documentary, because of Trenches of Rock, which it's funny because I've heard about this documentary for a while and finally was able to, to, to get it on Blu-ray just a few weeks ago. But this is a project that's been around and in development i guess you'd say for a long time yeah it it just got released like late late december but the project actually started about eight years ago it's been just a labor of love for a long time you know with my son paul michael that that directed it and edited and all that kind of stuff so yeah it's been a long project so michael i beg to differ it actually started back in 87 with your son on the road with us that's true had all the material he needed for this movie. That's right. Yeah, he was first. He was there. <laughs> and there's so much to talk about because I mean, I'm a, a huge uh, a Christian heavy metal band, uh, heavy metal fan. And there's quite a lot of us out there in the world. As a matter of fact, I have a group text with Richard Christie, who's been on the Howard Stern show for about ten years. One of his whack pack guys, and then Howard Jones, who is the singer of Killswitch Engage, now with Light the Torch. We have a group text where we right. talk daily to this day about Christian heavy metal and the fellowship that we've gained from this group text. It keeps the spirit of why Bloodgood and Striper and all these great bands started years ago to get people to come together in the name of, of music, in the name of Jesus Christ. So it's kind of cool how the modern era, your message still continues. Yeah, it's, it's kind of mind-boggling that it's just, you know, here we are all these years later, and it's still relevant, and people are still being touched by it. And, of course, when the Internet took off, you know, we gained a whole other group of fans at different ages and all over the world that we could have never reached any other way. So it's And it's just, it's just as relative now as it was then. It, it, it is. It's very exciting. Yeah, it's kind of scriptural, you know. The same yesterday, today, and forever. Yeah, that's right. It's, it's the same good news. And our lyrics are never going to get old. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm, I'm glad that doesn't hold true with spandex. True. <laughs> I'm sure that Chris knows about spandex. Well, especially oh, now. Yeah. Exactly. I, I wish I could have rocked the spandex like you guys did in 86. But it's funny because you mentioned that your son was with you in 87. Uh, and I was at one of those shows on the um, right. on the detonation tour, we, you guys played in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada, which is where I'm from, and you played the Saints Roller Rink. Yes, that's right. It was the roller. Yeah, I remember that show. It actually got written up late, yeah, a couple of weeks later by some magazine up there and stuff. So yeah, I totally remember that show. Well, it was funny because we didn't, you know, I, I that was probably the first Christian metal concert I'd ever been to because, and we can get into all this back in those time frames, and you touch on this in the documentary that you would basically go to Christian bookstores to find Christian heavy metal records. Cause there wasn't a lot of like right. kind of mainstream distribution. And there was a poster on the wall for the, uh, for the tour blood good. And I remember seeing the name. That's a really cool name. Seeing the picture. You guys look cool. I'm going to go to this show. And they had us go inside the roller rink and we had to sit on the floor and, and watch the gig. I don't think you guys even had a stage. I think you just had to set up kind of like on the, 
on the gym floor, so to speak. Right. Was that something that you dealt with quite a bit on that tour? Because it was a long one for you guys. Oh, yeah. That we were, the detonation tour lasted for nine months. Gosh. Yeah. We literally, we drove out of the driveway at Les's house down in Federal Way, Washington, and we didn't come back till nine months later. And then as soon as we got back, we hopped on a plane for England to do our first show over, over in Europe. So, yeah, that was, that was a long one. It was great, though. Yeah, I remember. I remember the food was good. The food at the Saints Row, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, honestly, I don't remember that roller rink thing and no stage. So I probably blocked that one out of my memory because I like a stage. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, and, and that's the thing with Blood Good, you know, just kind of watching through some of the stuff, more specifically the, the Shake in the World, the concert, like – it's such a visual performance that you guys had, and unless you are kind of a combination of a Broadway star, a rock star, and like almost like a ballet dancer on the stage. <laughs> wow, that's okay. That's good to hear from you. <laughs> Did you have that background when you first got in? Because you're very much a performance-oriented band. Yeah, I was in. Uh, I used to be in the Broadway musical Hair back in the seventies. And that's when I, that was my first theatrical experience. It was a musical and uh, quite a famous musical. And we, I did that show for two and a half years, eight, eight times a week. And I was in that show with Kenny Ortega, the film director. And that's where I met my wife, Joyce. Kenny Ortega is a massive, massive star to this day. I mean, video director and choreographer and everything like that. Yeah. He's uh, him and I were roommates in, uh, during the, uh, time we're in here he's just a great guy good, great friends and i met joyce there too and as a matter of fact i just want to tell you something because i had discovered this i remember traveling with hair in the south and we were doing hair upstairs in an armory and downstairs was pro wrestling <laughs> this is back in the 70s right right and so i was like oh okay i gotta go down and check this out so i go down down below and as I go to, to look inside or whatever, to go inside, Joe Lewis, the heavyweight champion of the world, is the is the greeter. I was like, wow, <laughs> what is going on? Okay, wait a minute. So anyway, but... Let's play down there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was, it was amazing. It was totally packed, and then hair was up above. I mean, it's like, I don't remember the city. I, it was some city in the south, but uh, yeah, you know. So I guess uh, theatrics and, and wrestling and everything goes together. Right? Well, it does go together. And, it's, <laughs> and it's, it's funny that you say that because that was always kind of one of the reasons why I do what I do, which is play rock and roll and, and be be a wrestler as well, is because there's a lot of similarities between, you know, connecting with an audience and the theatrics of it and making sure that people are involved and having a great time and are engaged in the performance. And that's something that as a front man, you've always had that ability. And a lot of that probably comes from the background that you had, like you said, kind of doing this off-Broadway experience with hair. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely felt that uh, once I got into Bloodgood, that the lyric content and heavy metal being that genre, the costuming and all that, it just lends itself to the theatrics. And uh, so, yeah, we really enjoyed doing it. Let's talk about you guys first started, because you hit upon it in, in, in the documentary, Trenches of Rock, obviously. But it's really cool to me, like I said, being such a, no pun intended, disciple of Christian heavy metal. I mean, the first bands I can remember were Striper, Bloodgood, Baron Cross. It was not a prevalent thing, because before you guys started, 
you know, I've spoken with Michael Sweet in, in, in length about this. It was Petra and it was uh, the Res Band and and nothing yeah. against them, but they look like people's dads, you know, mustaches and, you know what I mean? Yeah. It, it just didn't have a cool factor or the heaviness of what happened just a few years later. What made you guys go in that direction? Well, you know, I was working at a, you know, I think it's even in the movie. I was working in a, a guitar store in Bellevue, Washington, and, you know, it was kind of the this epicenter of heavy metal at that point, you know, all the guys were coming to Queensryche metal mm-hmm. church. I mean, there's all sorts of things going on there. And I just, you know, I was already doing Christian outreach with a different band I'd had from college days. And so a friend of mine uh, just started praying that God would just lift up some artists to get into the whole metal thing. Cause the metal guys were so single focused, you know, that's all they cared about. That's all they were passionate about. And I said, man, what a great, you know, thing. and I, I mean, I had no intentions of doing it myself, we just really would pray that God would lift it up. And again, as time went on, I realized God was calling me to do it. And I'm going, what? <laughs> I was doing a dinero. You talking to me? And so, you know, and that's just kind of how. And so we just started praying about it. JT, our first drummer, and I just started praying about it. And about a year and a half later, before the band actually came together, and there was no such thing as Christian metal until we put the band together, less was in it. And then I see, you know, Striper doing um, You Know What to Do on TBN. And I thought, oh, my God. And that's when I realized there's something going on here. The Holy Spirit's doing something really cool, and we're going to be a part of it. It's very exciting. Yeah, but Chris had said that the guys, you know, in the other bands looked like they were somebody's dad or something. So the thing about the authenticity of us dressing up the way that we did and the costumes and everything, we did that because we wanted to be believable in the heavy metal genre. You know, we wanted to look like the real deal, like the guys in the world right. with this message of truth. Uh, otherwise, I don't think kids would have uh, gone for it. So, yeah. No. I, I mean, nothing would draw me to Larry Norman back in the early days. Because to me, he was a real rocker. He looked like one. He played like one. You know, and he was the real deal. The other guys, yeah, it wasn't quite believable. But you know what? And just from talking to you guys very briefly, but seeing interviews and stuff, you guys are the real deal. I mean, it's not like it was hard for you to, you know, look cool and have the hair and the costumes and all that stuff. You guys were, were rockers. I mean, it's obvious. At some point in time, you guys were just a rock and roll band that accepted Christ. But that that meant something t- to me as a kid and as a fan because you could tell this isn't this isn't a stroke. Like this isn't something that's being forced upon us. This is this is organic, and that that meant a lot. It, right. it, made, it made us follow you guys even more so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's really true because you know, at when, once it kind of caught on, if you will, there's a lot of you know guys just doing it because oh this is a cool thing to do exactly. but we were really called to do it as was striper as was baron cross even the guys in messiah prophet i mean that's only guys we knew about back in the day and then you know and that's just that's true with any kind of a movement you're going to get the sheep and the goats i'm not the other guys with goats i'm you know it sounds harsh but hey, Mike, you're going to get watch. guys who are really <laughs> i know <laughs> they're really called to do Be it and other guys i know and other guys are just wanting to jump on the bandwagon because they think it looks cool and you know and they don't last because you know it's 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 rugged out there, and it really is. Yeah, and the thing the thing is about Bloodgood in particular, and I'm not talking about anybody else, but this Bloodgood band was really called to be guys that that uh, shared our faith, and we didn't form to be a band, and then you know saw that we should do it. We we really we really felt like we should do this because I I was like when I got saved. I was like, I'm out of here. I don't, I don't care about doing any kind of performing any anymore. I'm going to just serve Jesus. I'm going to read the word and I'm going to, I'm going to be a follower. And then this thing with blood good came up and I thought, 
that God was saying to me, hey, I want to use you here. So the whole purpose of Mike and I to this day is to be in the band and not, you know, make it in the secular world. If we did, that's great. But the purpose is to be consistent and, and share our faith, you know, yep. be real, be normal. It's 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 normal to be a follower of Christ. That's the norm, really. The rest of the world's got to figure that out. But that's why that's why we exist. But it was it was such a, a huge scene at the time too. And like I said, like you're talking about a a 15 year old, 16 year old kid. And I I, I was always kind of brought up. My, my parents were uh, my mother's side was Ukrainian, which is a form of Rush Russian, you know, Ukraine. You guys know. So it was kind of Roman Catholic and that sort of thing, where there's a lot of you know, uh, say this three times and, and sing this entire hymn, which takes 20 minutes. It's not the type right. of, of, of church that that you can find even in the States where there's more of a, of a party atmosphere and there's some drums on stage. So coming in from that side of the coin, Christianity was like, as a kid, like, this is really boring. You know, like, you, you know what I mean? When you're just in there, just going through the motions. But Christian yeah, sure. metal made it exciting. So the missionaries that you were really worked for, for that scene because kids were heavy metal kids back in the 80s, for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's that's my background, too. I was raised in the Episcopalian Church, which is, you know, very liturgical. And and I left it when I was pretty young because, again, it was just, it was you know, just religion. It, it didn't affect my heart or my soul or anything. And it wasn't later until I you know, was in high school that I really gave myself to Christ and realized who he really was. That it just radically changed my life. And and so I started doing Christian ministry just about a year after I got saved when I started college. And I've been you know, kind of at it ever since because to me it's just, you know, it's the universal language. You can go anywhere and play music and people get it and they get into it. And and I think I've said before, you know, I wanted Bloodgood to be the best of the best. So if people respected us as players then they would listen to what we had to say, you know, and that's, you know, it's really critical. Like we said, it's, it's legit and it's real. And it's once again, like I was going to say this coming from the Seattle area, what is it about Seattle? Cause from, from Hendrix. And then you mentioned it, to heart to Queensryche and, and, and metal church, and then going through the, the Nirvana's and, and mother love bone and you know, all those bands, the sound garden. It's just, it seems like Seattle is just a breeding ground for great rock and roll in any type of genre. Yeah, the reason for well, that it, is it's it bad. Rains, it's bad weather. It we have to stay inside. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it rains in, so much. No, no. Here's my theory: it rains so much, we're staying inside to practice. And the other yep. thing is, is we're hearing these jet planes from Boeing. You know, <laughs> so it's all it's all big, loud, heavy metal. That's what's happening. Yeah. And we're help ourselves. <laughs> what was it like for you guys when you first started? Because like we said, Striper's kind of down in the south, Southern California and you guys are kind of in the Pacific Northwest. Neither really knows the other exists. But I'm sure at the time when you said you're a Christian heavy metal band, because it was such a different time and there's a lot to talk about that we will. But what was the initial reaction when you told people this? Oh, it was very negative. Many of my Christian friends just thought it was absurd. You know, it's an oxymoron. You can't you can't do both. And I said, well, why not, you know? And then you know, I talked to my pastor and told him what, you know, that I really felt that I had been led to do this. And he just said, go for it, man. Just do it. If God's calling you to do it, you just go out and do it and he'll, he'll make a way for you. And that's what we did. Yeah, to me, it was just, it, it wasn't controversial in that sense. I just thought, again, the imagery and the, the volume and the storytelling and stuff, it's just, it seemed like a natural thing for metal to be into. And we did it. You know, that's, that's why we went after it and along with other guys too. 
and both sides actually even the secular side of metal you know the radio stations they they refused to play blood good because we talked about jesus and then the church didn't like us because we were metal guys talking about jesus you know i mean it's just like we were kind of in the middle but um we knew that we were supposed to be there so there's a difference you know when you we've got doubt but we had no doubt we were definitely supposed to be doing what we're doing so that's what kept us going yeah and uh, we still are and when you look at the basic principles of what Jesus Christ is, he was a rebel as well. Didn't really look the same yeah. or act the same. And I always use that because I remember even f- to tell your friends, like I was a metal guy, I loved all metal, but I was always kind of like, what are we going to listen to? Let's listen to this, you know, whether it's, like I said, Bloodgood or here's some White Cross or here's some Striper. But to me, trying to even just be a little bit of a missionary amongst my friends you know, it was hard because people would go, oh, this music is great. Oh, they're singing about Jesus. Well, forget it. But then they'll go listen to Venom singing about black metal and that war with Satan. I'm like, well, what's the difference? If you like this music and those lyrics, why wouldn't you like this music and these lyrics? But Jesus music and Jesus metal and, and Christian metal always had way more of a stigma than like black metal or satanic metal or whatever you want to call it ever did. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> that, that was a religion uh, on the other side. <laughs> it was a religious form of darkness. Right. So, yeah, and there's no there's no power in those words and in those religions and those philosophies. The only, only power is in the Word of God, and that's why it's powerful, and that's why people will react to it one way or the other, you know? And yeah. and that's, you know, that, that, yeah, you always have that going for you as a believer, because if you're preaching the Word of God, you're sticking to the Bible, it's going to be powerful, and it's going to be very effective, and you're going to get people that don't like it, because that's, you know, that's what happened to Jesus. He, Jesus said, man, if they hated me, they're going to hate you because they love you, you know, love me. They're going to love you. And that's, you know, we've seen that time and time again over all these years. So tell us some of the stories where you guys actually were in the trenches. I've been saying how times have changed. I can remember going to, you know, an Iron Maiden concert and there'd be picketers saying this is satanic music and all this other stuff, or you'd get pamphlets of the famous, you know, kiss stands for night and Satan service. And this is that, and that is this, but you guys experienced it. From both sides of the coin, from, from even from other Christians saying that you were bad boys for doing it. Did they come and actually pick at Blood Good shows? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. As soon as we started, you know, the, Jimmy Swigert had just done his anti-rock and roll campaign for two weeks. So the first show we did, which is done in Texas, we had picketers out there with big signs, you know, and we're homosexuals and we're the tool of the devil. And, and that followed us for, for a lot of years. But it always backfired because... Um, when if the mainstream media picked up on it, they go, well, "What's the big controversy?" And and often we would get all this free publicity because they, you know, the people that oppose us would never go on camera or you know they weren't organized enough or whatever, and they'd interview us and they just kind of go, "Well, you guys are nice guys and this is kind of a positive thing. Why would people oppose this?" And we're going, "Well, I don't know." <laughs> <laughs> you know, we you know we even had the you know, the Ku Klux Klan wanted to take us out when we were in California going. Okay, why is that? You know, yeah, so, you know, we did have dinner. death threats out there. No, it was not taking us out for dinner. Yeah, <laughs> although it was the avocado capital of the world, so maybe we could have gotten a couple avocados out of the deal. They have some guacamole. Or <laughs> exactly. they to out. I mean, yeah. I don't think so. <laughs> Les, you have a great quote uh, in, in the movie. If you can reprise it about uh, when you were coming to town, just how both religious groups were just mortified that you were coming. Yeah, they. Actually, that actually happened um, where the Christians were fasting and praying that we wouldn't come to town. And the Satanists were also in the same town fasting and praying that we wouldn't come to town. (laughs) So 
Yeah, I remember. And guess what? Particular. We came to yeah, town. <laughs> we came to town, and in that particular town, our truck had broken down 300 miles away from that town, and we had hardly any money left at all because we were just like day to day out on the road. You know, we just kind of just sustain ourselves to get to the next gig. And the truck broke down. We were 300 miles away. We took every dime we had and had the truck towed to the stage door and uh, backed it right up to the stage door. It was totally blown engine. And we did the show and kids got saved. So, yeah, the fasting and praying did break down the truck, I guess, but it didn't <laughs> stop the show. So, no, and I think, it, it, unless if I remember right, we had almost to the penny the exact amount of money we needed to get that truck towed. I mean, we put in our personal money, you know, and yeah. whatever we had in the band coffers, and that's that literally took us down, you know, with a nickel or something. But we all just felt, you know, we knew we had the choice. You know, we kind of put up the vote. You guys want to just you know, get a hotel room, get the truck fixed, or you know, no, everyone said no. Let's, we got to do this gig. You know, somebody's trying yeah. to stop us. Let's do it. And, and, and it was Darren, awesome. And therein lies the personal relationship that people have with God they're not aware of. He does stuff like that all the time. It's, it was, you know, like Michael says, it was exact what we had kind of thing. God's doing that. He's like, yeah, I'm in this with you guys. So, yeah. And this is this is another point of evidence that I do exist. I do have relationship with you. And, man, I mean, this is amazing. He's the God of the universe. And he loves all three of us on the phone right now. Praise God. I know. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> in spite of ourselves exactly in spite of, but, but you know it's, it's it's cool that you say that because once again I went through similar things to what you guys did just in a different field but I always had this conviction that God always had my back and whatever it would be if you needed to pass the finish line you know with one second left you would get there all of these little things that happened but but, but once again just to, to thank you guys and I've told told Michael Sweet and, and, and Oz and all the guys from Striper too it was a big influence on me to know that there was other guys in the world who were on the road playing rock and roll that I liked that felt the same way that I did, which gave me the, not the power, because God gives you the power, but gave me the motivation to go, listen, man, like there's guys out there. I can do this uh, based on kind of the foundations I got from listening to your guys' tunes. So it's one of those things you never right. know who's listening and who's being influenced by you when you're doing these great things that you did. Chris, I, I just got to get this off my chest. I don't, I looked you up on online because I wanted to see, you know, I, I asked Alexa, okay, Chris Jericho. And this song came up and I thought, well, wait a minute, there's a song, a band. So I looked it up and I realized you're in a band called Fozzy. And I looked you up and saw your videos and man, I I'm sincere. I'm not just stroking you because it's your show. But I'm telling you, dude, I love your voice and your presence, the gifts that God's given you. Thank and the you. band is so cool. I was going, wow, these guys are awesome. So, yeah, they're the real yeah. deal. Yeah. That's cool yeah. to hear, man. I really appreciate that. And then once again, when you become of age and when you're f fans of something and someone, you become peers and then become friends. That's one of the coolest things uh, about being in, in showbiz, baby, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's it, it's uh, you definitely you got a great sounding voice in the band. Thank cool. you, man. I appreciate perfect that. attitude and just a lot of talent and some and some uh, great songwriting too. By the way, you got some great hooks and yeah, I mean it's very entertaining yes. and, and in your face and uh, bombastic. <laughs> I love it. I'm cheesing right now, man. Big smile on my face. <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys get that quite a bit though? When people will come up to you and tell you, "Hey, man." 
you know, I, I don't know if it's a doctor or a lawyer or someone in, in, in show business that, that says kind of what I'm saying to you, that you influence them or just people on the street. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, it, again, you just kind of sit there. It's almost, it's surrealistic. Sometimes you feel like, even when we watch the documentary, we sit back and go, wow, that really happened. And that, that I know that's me talking, but, you know, you're, you're almost like an outside observer through all this stuff, you know, especially when people come up to you and, or even you, you know, I saw you guys and this touched my life and you're just going, oh, it's bigger than us. You know, <laughs> I'm writing some of the lyrics down on a napkin at Denny's, you know, <laughs> three in the morning and all of a sudden, you know, somebody comes up and says, man, this song really touched my life. It's just going, wow, that's God. That's, that's pretty cool. You know, Chris, back in the day when we uh, used to travel out on the road, we didn't have the tour bus. We were in the, the van with the RV and 14 people and kids and, and trucks. And I mean, it was just, uh, you know, we weren't traveling like like a lot of the other bands were, uh, but we just didn't have the support. And I remember being in Germany at one point. We had just seen Striper's poster. We were in London and we had just seen them playing the Odeon. And, you know, their big poster and they're getting the air, the airplay and the, all this stuff. And Bloodgood never got any of that. We were like, you know, we were kind of like Paul. You know, we were, we were just kind of getting beat up all the time out there. And, uh, the redheaded stepchild, child. <laughs> yeah, we were, in, uh, we were in Germany and driving in a beat up bus over there. And they were driving us out into the Thule's. Some, I mean, it was just like way out somewhere. And I said to the Lord, I said, so why are we here? doing this and i see what's happening with some of the other groups he said because you're willing <laughs> mm-hmm. and and we were blood good we played wherever we played some huge situations uh you know in front of thirty thousand people and five thousand and you know and then we'd be in front of 30 you know but we would still give it everything that we had every time because of this this desire to share the truth and uh, so to see this movie after all these years, you know, we never really were lifted high, you know, but this movie kind of told the story in a way that it's saying it and we're not saying it. And I don't I don't want to say it. I, I just want to be who I am in Christ and sing for blood good and share the truth. But this movie does tell the truth. And so when people see it, I think that it inspires them. But it's not always about the glamour and the glitz. It's really about your guts and your commitment. And, uh, you know, I'm glad it's being told. Me too. Yeah. Well, it's one of those things, too. I mean, the the, the, the documentary is called Trenches of Rock. And, I mean, you guys were in the trenches. And, and listen, every scene, there's one band that breaks through biggest. And Striper was that band. They're much more of a pop-oriented band with those hooks. And it just it's just the way that it is. But I think yeah. the documentary and your guys' career and following you just as much as I, as I did with Striper, it shows kind of the other side of the coin. And Striper went through all the same things you guys did. They just had major label support and MTV support and all that other stuff. Oh, yeah. But they kind of right. got the same, you know, the, the same people talking down on them and the picketing and all that other stuff. But you guys were doing oh, yeah. it much more on a grassroots level, but still doing it everywhere. Yeah. And clearly, clearly no regrets. I'm not suggesting that. As a matter of fact, the guys in Striper, we love them dearly, and they're good friends. And, uh, you know, Oz played in the band for a while, too. And, sure. And did uh, Dangerously Close with us, and he's one of my dearest friends. And, uh, yeah, they're they're good men. Well, how, how did that come about in the first place? I didn't realize that your first gig ever was opening for Striper, and then here you are 
20 some odd years later, Oz is actually in blood good playing with you guys. Yeah. Yeah. That was up in Billingham, right? Yeah. Yeah. The very, very first gig that we ever had, and we never had played anywhere. We opened for Striper in Bellingham and we opened for them because, you know, I was in that Seattle scene and the, uh, the uh, road manager for heart, Dick Adams and Joe Blaylock was a promoter there. Um, They were bringing in Striper and, he had known me from before, and then he knew that I kind of left the business or got saved. But he called me up and said, "Do you have any like like do you, you know we need an opener, a Christian band for a Christian heavy metal band, and we don't you know there's not a lot of those around. As a matter of fact, none. <laughs> but he had heard about it, so they came out and saw us, and we did a little audition for them, and they saw us. And I think halfway through the first song, like Mike said, they said, "You got the gig." So our very first gig was with Striper in Bellingham. And then the very next night was in the Paramount in Seattle and it was sold out and time magazine was there. And it was just this whole thing because it was so newsworthy. It was an oxymoron, you know, Christian metal. What's this? So, and, and we were, we were ready, you know, we had been rehearsing and preparing. Uh, We didn't really know what for, but that was our, that was our ball entrance into the biz and not a bad way to start right no not a bad way yeah (laughs) and so then how did oz end up playing with you guys i I was teaching over in wales at a festival called meltdown which is just all around rock and they usually bring over somebody to do a clinic and that was oz that year and i was i was teaching and of course we know Oz from striper and all that and when we were over there Marilyn, my wife, and I would talk with Oz till two or three in the morning. I mean, we just bonded. I just, you know, he's such a, an incredible person, one of my favorite people on the planet. He's just wonderful. Yeah. And I thought in the back of my mind, because, you know, Bloody wasn't happening at that time. So if I ever put the band back together, Oz would be, oh, it would just be great to have him in the band. And flash forward to 2005 or six and really felt the Lord tell me it's time to put the band back together. And I called Paul Jackson, our guitar player, says, what do you think about bringing Oz in as the second player? And he goes, oh, yeah, that'd be great. And I called Oz, and Oz called Mike, and that's the rest is history. We started playing with Oz back in 2007, and we brought him in as a co-songwriter for our last studio album. And it's you know it's just been great. He's a great addition and brings a different kind of a feel to, to our music than we would have without him, and it's it's great. Yeah, we had an amazing, <laughs> just an amazing time uh with him during that time um we went to germany with him he even was playing with striper one point in australia he flew back and ended up back in the states on the same day he left and he played a gig with us that night that's right in california oh man oz is a rocker bud it was like a a heavy metal super group in a way having oz with you guys for sure (laughs) Let's talk a little bit about you guys being on this this lengthy marathon tour uh, in 1987. You, you've mentioned a few times that you guys were in an RV and on uh, you know on the road traveling, and being on the road in 2020 isn't easy. It's very expensive, and a lot of people don't realize that. I mean, you just putting gas in the tank can can be you know crushing at times. So in '87, yeah. when you guys did this, was it completely on your own? Did you have any record company support? Did you have a booking agent? How did you put it together? Well, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, we did not have a tour of tour support from the label. We literally did it on ourselves. And Joe Blaylock was our booking agent. And and there was pretty no much if you, at that time. 
there was no yeah. circuit. So, the, you know, he, there wasn't, you know, he, he'd get call some guys. and No, there was nothing. So Joe was just trying to make it happen. Sometimes we had like a wonderful promoters. Like we did the we did the Odium in Chicago, sold it out. The next night we're in St. Louis. There's not even 50 people there because you got promoters that knew what they're doing, but most of them were just kind of you know they were fans and they wanted to see the band come to town. So you pretty much got anything you can imagine. From I mean, one day you're sleeping on the floor, the next day somebody puts you up at the Hyatt. It was just, it was very, I mean, it was just crazy. So you just, you had to just get used to it, you know, and then we did whatever came our way. And sometimes we got treated poorly, you go, well, okay, you know, that's part of growing up and suffering, you know? And then, you know, sometimes, you know, again, you'd be at the Hyatt and there'd be food baskets in your room and just going, are these for us? <laughs> then the, next day, the next day you'd be at somebody's house that volunteered to, yeah, yeah. You know, to give the, the band a room or whatever. And then the only reason they did it was to tell you why you shouldn't be doing what you're doing. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Straighten you out in the name of the Lord. Yeah, that was of the devil. And their kids sitting there eating white bread with red, you know, green gobblers in his nose. And they feed you dry turkey. <laughs> and you're just going, oh, my God. Thank you, Jesus. You know, uh, yeah, baby. this is definitely <laughs> you're molding me to be like you. I get it. But, yeah. <laughs> There's a great uh, bonus bonus scene on the disc about lasagna. The, the it's now trans- oh, yeah. It's, yeah. it's transferred to pizzas, but at the time it seemed everyone wanted to feed you lasagna every night. Well, you know it's so big because you know uh, when we were first starting out, you know I got a copy of Striper's contract and it was it was thick, and we just said, well we're not going to be like that, you know we're just going to go there, and then you realize after seven nights of lasagna or getting a, a driver in Cincinnati that doesn't know how to get on the freeway, that that's why your contracts get a little bit heftier <laughs> because, you know, you need guys that know how to drive and people that can maybe cook something besides lasagna. So you have to make up menu pick, you know, and so we just laughing about it now, but you know, you just, you're trying to protect yourself a little bit because, you know, you're out there on the road and often for us, the only warm meal we got was when we got to a show somewhere. And so when you get there and there's, you know, bologna sandwiches and wonder bread, you're going, uh, this is not, dinner guys you know <laughs> yeah and the, the scary the scariest thing is when the guy driving the vehicle is a hardcore blood good fan and all he wants to do is look at you guys look at us and, and we're like hey look at the road I mean, <laughs> look at the road man i'm sitting next to you but you keep your eyes on the road <laughs> we've got nine months together buddy trust me we'll have a chance <laughs> It's something that I do. Uh, you might want to do this at some point next time you guys go on, on the road. I made sure now to this day, there's always uh, a, a roasted chicken on the rider, like that you get at the grocery store. You know, you go to the, and they have the roasted chicken in the bags. Because that way, I'll, like you said, I'll always have at least one hot meal during the day. And, uh, yeah. you know, and now it's it's gone to two roasted chickens because other guys in the band were always eating my roasted chicken. I'm like, that's my roasted chicken. You guys get your own <laughs> roasted chicken. That's a good idea. You know, Mike, you get that in the rider. There you go. You always oh, yeah, have let me, Yeah, let me, let me call my attorney. <laughs> <laughs> Although i got to tell you, Chris, to this day, it's hard for me to eat KFC because we saw a lot of that on the road. No offense. Kentucky Fried Chicken is great stuff, but when you have it as much as we did, or even going into Denny's, you know, that was the only place that was ever open in the States. And, you know, we had we had that uh, that menu pretty much memorized by the time we were through touring. And so it's not my, my list of first places to go, but I'm glad they were there when we so, needed them. So, uh, so Michael, you just blew his chances of having them as a 
sponsors. Oh, Denny's endorsement. Oh, oh man. Not gonna work. Oh, my God. oh well, or KFC. Yeah, get rid of that okay. blood good show. We'll do it. <laughs> yeah. It, it was as if people only knew what we go through as performers to get to the show. And then what you have to deal with afterwards, like you said, like the show is always great. But I think it was Alice Cooper said, they don't pay me for the 90 minutes I'm on stage. They pay me for the other 22 and a half hours that it takes to get there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's the small percentage is that hour and a half or two hours you're on the stage. And the rest of it, you know, as you know, it's just hard work and scheduling and getting where you need to go and dealing with everybody. Yeah, it's it's not um, what everybody thinks it is. Once we got on stage, that's our actual that's our sanctuary. That's, yes. that's our place of rest because we're doing what the, the entire purpose is there. And then the work begins after that when we're out talking to kids afterwards for an hour and a half or two. And then you're just, I mean, you're still sweating from the show. So you kind of dry off as you're talking to everybody and you just, you know, you just get worn out. And then the next day, you, you know, you're traveling again to the next deal. And the stage is, that's the safest place and the, the yeah. Uh, the least stress is being there, and then everything else happens. And would you guys do that? Because I, I vividly remember talking to you guys after the show, and it kind of everyone would go to the merch table and hang out. Whether you had, I don't remember how many people were at the show. If there was fifty, we always did that. So if we had a merch table and it was there, that's what we did after. We never oh, yeah. just, we never left. We always stayed and talked for an hour and a half or so afterwards. I mean, that was the purpose. to, yeah. to talk about the Lord. You know, just to point that out too i mean just from a you know from a fellowship standpoint but just from a professional standpoint i i got some great advice from from ronnie james dio years ago i saw him just standing around talking to everybody outside the bus and i said you know do you do that every night and he said yeah he said i always he said always give people their moment even if you don't remember it they'll never forget it like i'll never forget meeting you guys at the table and of course you have no recollection or should you but that's very professional, just from a Christian standpoint, but also from a from a a quote unquote rock star standpoint. Standpoint yeah. for people to be able to see you and t- and talk to you. Yeah, I agree. Oh, it's, it's critical. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And uh, I think that we're always aware of that. You know that those little moments that that people have one on one with fans, they're those are so precious to those fans, and it's certainly worth it. You know, there's a lot of people that try to get to where we are, other bands that have made it. So I feel very fortunate that we've been able to record records and have them distributed worldwide and, you know, just all those things. When so many other talented people don't even get that far, simply because the sheer numbers or the circumstances or whatever. So, yeah, anybody that's in the public eye should should be professional and kind. I think. Well, it was a it was a huge influence for me because you know it was I'm a young guy and I'm you know high school and college you know I got to you know see Larry Norman and Love Song and all you know you got to talk to all these guys I spent I, I can't tell you how much I was talking to Chuck Gerard who's the lead singer of Love Song and we literally closed the Paramount Theater out you know just he's just in the audience with Marilyn and I talking you didn't have to do that mm-hmm. same thing with Daryl Mansfield and DeGarmo and Key and then years later. We're on the bill with them, and I tell them the stories. Of course, they don't remember it. But, man, it had such a huge impact on my life. And I said, well, now it's my turn. Yeah. You know, yeah. I want to do the same thing with our fans, you know, because it's going to be a, it's going to have a, an impact on them. And, you know, we've even gotten letters where kids said they hadn't committed suicide because we came out and talked to them and talked about the Lord or whatever. And, and you know, I mean, you're just going, whoa. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Again, that's bigger than us, man. That's not us. That's the Lord. Dang. 
I remember uh, I was in a band at the time, or, or my high school band was called Scimitar, which is the uh, curved Sinbad, the sailor sword, Scimitar. And of course, the T in the logo was a Scimitar. But um, I went and asked, I like it. specifically to talk to you, Mike, because I was like, ah, you know, the guys that I play with aren't Christians, and what should I do? And I can't remember what you said. It was something, you know, well, just, just keep you know, being a light in the darkness, brother, or whatever you said, but yeah. I remember, yeah, it gave me advice about my band, dude. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. That's cool, man. That's very cool. You know, and this is 33 years ago, but like you just said that, you know, you never forget those moments that you have with, with people that you look up to. So was it hard for you guys? Cause you, not only are you traveling in RVs and Going to like you said, you're 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 living in the in the high life and then playing in the in the gutter at times. And you've got your very young families with you. It's not even just your wives. There's little kids all over the place at varying different ages. I'm sure yeah. that added a lot of pressure on you guys as well. It did, but you know we were so single minded and single focused, and so was our family. You know, my wife's always been a hundred percent behind me. You know, she was doing all the merch, still does the merch, and so it was really just a big unit. You know, and we love doing it. You know, of course, we, you know, we homeschooled Paul Michael and, and uh, David's kids. And and so, I mean, it was rugged and, you know, he had to be cautious and all that kind of stuff. But yeah. I don't think we even thought about it that much because we, we, we were just so committed to what we we're doing and knew this is what we were supposed to do. That, you know, we're, you know, the old saying, where God guides, God provides and he equips you for what you want to do. And, and we did it. Now, when I look back at the documentary, I think, well, no wonder my parents were worried about it. <laughs> yeah, and I, I'd, like I mean, to, I'd like to add that my, my wife was the road tour manager. Right. Yep. So she did all the advancing of the shows. She also ran the lights on oh the shows. Um, she did all the, you know, oh my gosh, it was just, yeah, the, the wives uh, were active. Very active in helping us. And then, you know, think too, Chris, this is the days. There's no cell phones, man. This is pay phones and CB radios and maps. Oh, my gosh. I mean, you know, I mean, it's just, I mean, I think back and I just go, oh, my gosh, it was crazy. You know, we did it, but it's like, oh, my gosh. You know, I mean, we pull over and we have pictures of Les on the phone because that was his gig. And sometimes we drive 100 miles past our off-ramp because, you know, it's the middle of the night. We're looking at Thomas Guide maps and it's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> One time. We were going to Rochester, New York, and uh, somebody had fallen asleep at the wrong time or something. We took a wrong turn. We were like, how many miles off? 300 miles off. Oh, my course. God. Yeah. Oh, so we're 150 <laughs> miles. We're 150 miles off course. And so somebody realized, oh, my God, we took the wrong road. So we had to turn around and go back. <laughs> and so when we got to the gig, it was like late in the afternoon. And you can imagine how long it takes. To set up the show. Oh, that was stress. That was like yeah, a nightmare yeah. when you wake up going, oh my God, I'm not on stage and I'm supposed to. Yeah, because, you know, we travel with all of our backline gear, all the staging, the props, you know, the drum Everything, risers, you yeah. know, we were self-contained. Yeah. So it was quite a, it was quite a project to move from point A to point B. <laughs> When you guys did the, the the shake in the world and alive in America, I mean, obviously it's kind of like your double, your kiss alive too, and your live after death. It's like the the double live album. Right. Just watching that that I was going to say DVD, but video cassette at the time. Was that your show every night, or was that just a special show for the video shoot? Because there's a lot going on, and there are lots of background singers and effects and, and and all that sort of stuff. Oh, that was that was 
but that was a unique show. We gotcha. we we took it to Indianapolis and I think another I think Eastern Washington. But no, we rehearsed that show for about five months. Jeez. And uh, with the exception of a few people, those are all volunteers. Wow, guys building sets, uh, the makeup artists. You know, uh, a lot of those guys are just from my church. You know, and, 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 you know, of course, there were some famous people who came, famous, Eric Beaver, you know, was back there singing, was going on to do great things. And, uh, and so, you know, and, but it was just a labor of love. All these people just came together and we rehearsed. Uh, the local church basically gave us keys to the place and we would come in there month after month. And then, you know, of course, we hired the sound, you know, the, the well, the sound crew too, but, you know, the film crew. And, and we wanted to capture this because, you know, as, as the years were going by, you know, we realized, gosh, if we put these songs together, we're telling little stories. And so we started creating these little vignettes and we, you know, we brought in choreographers and, you know, whatever we could find and, and piece it together and to make, you know, really just a, a, a more or less a one-off show. You know, we knew, yeah. you know, cause you taking that amount of people, it's like, Ooh. sure, gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> well, what we did, what we did when we did Indianapolis is that we had booked some, some dates for the band without the show. And we were right. on a bus and truck moving towards that uh, Indianapolis place, right? And we flew yeah. the entire cast out. So we were on the road, and then they flew, and we carried all the props with us in the truck and the RV. And we did some gigs on the way, and then we met them there. That's how it was possible to do it. So we did a combination of smaller dates and then those big dates. and But... Doing that show for me is like, oh my god, I I could do that like every day if I. Oh yeah, it's yeah. an arena like, show, you know. It's 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 an arena level production for sure. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and we'd love to redo it now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we know more now than we did then. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, you know, all all three of my sons are professional ballet dancers, and and one of them has become a choreographer. So we, you know, we got some chops underneath us that we didn't have back then that we'd love be awesome to pull it off again like that the one bit that i love that i've never seen before or since i'm sure maybe you got it from hair was at the very beginning where you have all that dry ice on the ground and there's kind of the creepy crawly demons or whatever and they just raise you up from the ground as right. like, man, that's really cool then they raise less from the ground that, that was that was that something that you, that you had done in hair or did you just come up with that well not that in particular but yeah maybe a lot of that sort of thing was influenced of course by that because hair was that kind of a show and so I'm so grateful that I had that. But I, I agree with you. That's a great opener. Now, what did you think of the hair beast? I mean, I got to know. This is my, I love Once it. again, <laughs> you're kind of trying to figure out what the heck's going on. But uh, love that you're, you're riding the hair beast, which is a bunch of, uh, yeah, a bunch of mean, girls. Uh, they might be your wives, so I don't want to say chicks, but a bunch of ladies with long hair that kind of combined to make this crazy looking hair beast that Les is riding on the back of. <laughs> and all my, there I was riding. And I was like, you know, I was riding it. Like I was trying to get, it, you know, let's go. Yeah. Oh, but the, but Chris, the, the shedding, the shedding was just, I was shed. hard to deal with. So much hair on the stage. And a lot of it was yours. <laughs> yeah. Guys came out with brooms sweeping. <laughs> it's Mike. Yeah, that's right. As we uh, start to wind down, I want to talk to you about your actual music because it's something that uh, we mentioned earlier, Striper. Striper's very heavy, but they had kind of the pop elements that got them on MTV. And, and you know, Baron Cross was kind of an uh, Iron Maiden style. And every Christian band kind of had a, a mirror. White Cross was kind of like Rat. And, you know, X-Center was kind of like ACDC. 
Bloodgood was yeah. sounded like like nobody else, and also too very very heavy. Um, listening back, even on some of the albums that people said were a little bit more commercial, like a song like Seven on Rock and a Hard Place, super heavy, and and you know, but but the Detonation record and a lot of the stuff on Out of the Darkness, it, there's, there's some speed metal elements there that weren't being played by anybody other than thrash metal bands, uh, you know, 1986-87. What's your guys' writing process, and did you have any influences, or did you just want to make it as as as, as heavy and as, as dirty as it could possibly be? I think I think so. I mean, you know, we weren't imitating any, but we were totally influenced. I mean, mm-hmm. Ronnie James Dio is, you know, he's the man, and, and Priest and, and Maiden. So, I mean, we listen to these guys, but I mean, that's one of my favorite things. And to hear you say it again, it just, I love it. The fact that we don't, don't sound like anybody. We couldn't get, and that, I don't think we came up, hey, let's not sound like anybody. It just kind of, kind of happened because we had all these different influences from, you know, uh, David and, and Les and I, and, and later Paul Jackson. And it kind of just melds into and kind of creates what Bloodgood is. And I just love the fact that you can't put us in that, oh, these sound just like the, you know, the secular mm-hmm. version of blah, blah, blah. And I think that's one of the reasons we've done as well as we have in Europe, because we've heard that over and over again. We get to Europe, they say, you guys don't sound like anybody, you're storytellers. And, and I go, well, oh, mm-hmm. I'm glad you like that. <laughs> I like going here, our next gigs in Switzerland, you know, in a couple of weeks. So we love that. But, um, I'm, and seriously, Chris, hearing you say that, it really, that's, you know, they make me happy. <laughs> makes me happy too. Uh, Chris, when we did detonation, well, Daryl Mansfield did the first album. He produced the first album. When we did the second album, we asked the record company to allow us to just, we produced it ourselves. And so what we did is we rented a studio, like a, a, a you know, had a stage. It was a pretty good size uh, mm-hmm. practice room. Right. And, uh, but we paid for the whole month. And we just, you know, we like, we went to work every day for detonation. And we went in there uh, with nothing, you know, just went in scratch, nothing written. And we went in and we, we were like, we'd go in and pray and we'd say, Hey, when we come to work, it's like, you know, bring your hard hat and your lunch pail. Cause we're going <laughs> to, we're going to make this album. That's what we did. And it turned out to be our biggest selling album ever. And I think that, um, uh, it's really nice that things are these days you can do it from anybody can be anywhere, but you really can't get what you need, I think, to really make an, a great work, unless you really just go to work, you know, with your group. Yeah. Everybody get in the room and let's throw it around. Let's let's talk about it. Let's feel it. Let's yeah, that's sure why some bands' right. first and second records are so strong because, you know, they've been playing them, they've been yeah. woodshedding them and yeah. stuff, and then they get famous or on the road. And then now it's like, when are we going to fit in some time to do the next record, boys? And so it kind of loses some of that energy and flow. Uh, not that guys haven't made great records, you know, past their first and second ones. But, you know, generally those are their, you know, I'm thinking like Guns and Roses and all, you know, their first stuff was just so powerful. And uh, and that just comes by hanging out and like you say, you know, getting that rehearsal studio and just living together. And I was just reading, you know, U2's book and stuff, the same thing. They, you know, they'd rent a big mansion and they would just sit there for, I don't know, weeks or months just hammering out songs and I go, Oh, I'm mm. jealous. <laughs> yeah. I would love that opportunity. You know, well, we had, we've done, we've actually done a podcast before I have like a, it's kind of a, it's a sit around with the guys when you're having some dinner and drinking some wine, name of the name, a perfect album. And what the criteria for a perfect album is every song has to be an a minus or better. 
So you go through your appetite for destruction. You go through, you know, Abbey Road or whatever. Just throw them out there. And Detonation to me is a perfect album because every one of those songs to me are great. And that's a very rare thing to find from from any band. But you guys have that. Even listening to it to this day in 2020, it's just so. I say this in a. You'll understand what I mean. It's, a, it's so vicious and it's in your face and the drumming and the guitars and just the, 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 the everything. The Crucify and Messiah together. Lyrically, it just really is a, it's a real watershed moment, not just for Christian heavy metal, but I think for the whole scene at that time frame in about 87 uh, when it came out. Right. Wow. Thank you, man. That's awesome. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah, I wish we'd say, yeah, that was our plan. We had, that was our, you know, we put the board together and this is what we're going to do. Obviously, it just, you know, it doesn't happen that way. And, and, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And to look back and going, wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If only he had storyboard records like that. Unless, as a frontman and as, as a lyricist, you get really into it, and you you have no uh, there's no inhibitions in your lyrics. You know, you're in people's faces with it, and even live. I, it was funny. I was watching the Shake in the World the other day, and so at one point where you're yelling at a guy, you call him a chicken because he plugged <laughs> his ears, and I can tell you, you're pissed, man. You are pissed off at this guy because you're feeling it. <laughs> well. Like, yeah, so what you didn't see was he was down front while we were um, pretty much through the whole concert, and he was just flipping us off. Gotcha. So he was a distraction, and and but but you know I was still going okay, I'm I'm good with that, uh, I'm okay with that. That's okay, he can do that. But then when we were singing uh, "Share the Bread and Living Water," uh, uh, "Eat the Flesh, Drink the Blood of Christ," he was plugging his ears. So I, so that's, I was like, dude, you're a chicken. You, you can't even hear that. You can't hear the truth because you're a chicken. It's like, you can't handle yeah. the truth. I thought, <laughs> <laughs> so it was, so, yeah, but, but, here, anyway, here, here, but, but here's ahead. the deal. Afterwards, I had him brought backstage and uh, oh, wow. we led him to the Lord. Hmm. He got saved that night. So, and his friend who is with him, he talked to us at Cornerstone Festival later that year, and he said he got saved. You know, so it's just like, so the, the, the biggest antagonists, are, you know, sometimes are the ones that are closest to the kingdom of God. You just don't know. Yeah, so anyway, it worked out. You always get those people, and as a front man, you notice that. There'll be one guy. I mean, you could be at your own gig, and it's sold out, and there's a thousand people there, and there's one guy in the front row with his arms crossed, or one guy in the front row flipping you off and that's the one you keep coming back to like i must break this guy i must break him i must make him a fan it becomes kind of an obsession for that gig well you know there's a famous you know i'm a i'm a pastor and there's a famous old story where this professor you know back in i don't know what century that would have been middle he, he would bow to his students his young students every day and somebody finally asked him why do you bow to your students your kids he goes because i don't know who these men are going these boys are going to grow up to be well one of his students was martin luther Oh wow! Yeah. So same thing. You don't you don't know who's out there, and you don't know what words you're going to say or songs going to touch somebody and change their lives. It's just you know it's amazing. So yeah, you you know you bow to them, you know, because you don't know. You have no idea. Yeah, that you guys talked about how how popular you were are in Europe, um, and is that because I even know from our experience, Fozzie was way more popular in the UK than we were in the States when we first started. And I think because people didn't care that, oh, Chris Jericho, the wrestlers in the band, they just liked the music. Yeah. Yeah. Is it similar for you guys? 
not caring about the Christian right. side of things. Yes. Yeah, because I mean, that's even in the movie too. You know, we weren't branded as a Christian metal band. We were just in with all the other guys. They called us white metal sometimes because it was a more positive message. Of course, I always say it's only positive if you believe it. But so, yeah, we didn't have that stigma like we do over in the United States. You just can't break through it. I mean, our local rock station won't even take the shrink wrap off of our CDs because they know we're a Christian band. <laughs> and yet, you know, they'll have a first they'll have a First Amendment rally the weekend before. You know, so we so we don't face that in Europe. And so that's why it's just been so much easier for us to to go there and keep going there. Yeah, we, we you know, it's nice to be just met at face value as a band. Yeah. And they like us. So. Yeah, we like them. I think that's probably some of the, that, that probably you enjoy. Like you said, when 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 people and fans like you from from a band. Listen, obviously you got a message. You're missionaries, but it must be cool sometimes to go. These guys are just a, a kick ass rock yeah, and roll band. I like it. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, it, 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 it feels good. Yeah, we just did our first Seattle show in many years here, and it just felt great. You know, and it felt great about the band. And, and, you know, there, there is that, you know, that isn't our motivating factor, but when that comes along, man, it's, 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 it's special. We do get off on it, you know, in that, in a good way. (laughs) (laughs) So now that the documentary is out and hopefully you'll get a a streaming deal for it soon, has this caused a little bit of a resurgence for, for blood good? Oh yeah. You know, yeah, it definitely has. I mean, it's a little bit early because the movie hasn't been that long, but definitely the phone is ringing more. And uh, we're doing a couple of festivals in the Midwest, Audio Feed and uh, Capstone, and they both requested that the movie be shown. And so, yeah, there is. And actually, they're showing it in Switzerland uh, in a few weeks, too, as well. So, yeah, it is definitely, uh, It's you know, I always told the guys, it has not made us less popular. <laughs> but, it, but it has but i've remained less carlson so yeah that's right <laughs> you're always less yep. hey you need to put that on a t-shirt less is more <laughs> yeah, yeah less is more baby i've heard that <laughs> yeah i think so somewhere yeah but you know let you you know you say that but you know you got party for less shoes for less all this stuff for you yeah. but nothing for me yeah you know i was telling the band they should do an all instrumental and call it more music and less carlson <laughs> I'd have to say too though that that uh Bloodgood has to be one of the the best band names based on a last name ever. I'm putting it up there with Van yeah. Halen. I mean, you you had no choice but to start a band when your last name is Bloodgood, dude. I mean, and well, it has to be know, a metal I, band. I'm just I'm mean, yeah, I mean it's just one of those well and plus, you know, you know, I um they can't they're tour without me. That was uh, that's no, I, all this was about. Yeah, I, it was I, just I, an, it was I, just I, insurance. I, <laughs> I want to clarify something though. When you were when you had that list of names, Michael, and you were going yep. through that list, of I was the guy that said, "No, Bloodgood is the name of the band." That's what I said. You had that whole list, and I said, "No, Bloodgood's the name of the band because it's perfect." So I'm with I'm with Chris. I realized it. This is the greatest name since sliced bread. Perfect. Yeah, that's right. Good blood, good blood of Christ. Heavy metal. That's what David Lee Roth said to the Van Halen brothers. He's the one who convinced them to use Van Halen. So yeah. there you there go. There you go. Yeah. What were some of the names that you had on that list? Do you remember, Michael? Oh, oh I, do, I don't know. And just as well that we forgot. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. None of them have ever seen Light of Day anywhere else. So I guess they weren't that good. I don't know. <laughs> you have to watch the movie and check the list. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There is a list. You can there see it. There is a list. That's right. Yeah. You can see it. 
<laughs> so, so la- last few questions for you guys. After after you doing this for so long and, and taking a break and coming back, and now, like you said, with this documentary, that will get more steam as the distribution uh, continues. Is it exciting for you after all these years to still kind of be doing this? Uh, will you be doing it until the day you can't? Is there still a message you want to tell? Yes, there is, and I need to get some Omax. <laughs> is that what yeah, it's, it's called? It's, One of your sponsors, Omax? Oh, that's right, yeah. What is that, the falling and I can't get up thing? Definitely <laughs> get big muscles and stamina and all that. Oh, Omax, that's that's actually a sponsor Omax. of Talk is well, Jericho. Oh, that's right, yeah. yeah. We're going to need that. To, yeah. I'll send you a box. Oh, but oh. the answer is yes, it's it's very exciting. Um, you know, I never grow tired of the music. As long, you know, I, I can't, how many times have we done some of these tunes? You know, who knows? But, you know, it's, it always feels fresh when we do it. It's always a little bit different. You know, and when you're on the stage with your best buddies, you know, it's, it's just awesome. You know, it's, it's fun. Again, you're united and, and, uh, it's, it is exciting. It's, it's exciting. As I said before, you know, the internet's now getting, you know, all this, this whole new fan base and people discovering the band for the first time or just figuring out, oh, you guys are still playing. You know, they haven't, you know, they, I guess they don't do social media or something, mm-hmm. whatever. So yeah, it's exciting. We're just we're excited to see you know what other doors are going to open through this. I mean, it, obviously it opened this door. That's pretty amazing, you know. And yeah. it's I you know, I'm very happy for Paul that did the movie. You know, all his blood, sweat, and tears. You know, he's seen some great tractions through all this. And and uh, yeah, it's 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 every bit as exciting. It's an, it's a different kind of excitement, but it, it is very exciting. Yeah, and thank you, Chris, for. For what you posted about us, that was just such a yes. Oh my goodness, it just yep. felt so good, man. It just felt so good to hear that. And thanks, and thanks to Iron Mike for putting us in touch with each other too, man. It's so funny because it, it's it's one of those things. And, and first of all, you're, you're welcome, Lesson. Like I said, one of my my mottos. I've written books, four books, and one of them was like you. The motto I was trying to tell is you never know who's watching you, and you never know who you're going to influence. Yep. So when you're in the public eye. Always yeah. be cool. And what, like we said earlier, like Dio said, give people your moment because I'll never forget that. Yeah. And for me to give back a little bit to you guys, it's the same thing. I mean, with Striper, I, I will be Striper's number one screaming from the mountain that this is one of the greatest rock and roll bands ever yes. because people need to hear yeah. it. Yeah. You know, so. And they are too. Those guys are. And they are a great rock awesome. and roll band. <laughs> yeah, they are. An awesome they sure band. are. Yeah. Just you know, I was talking to Michael Sweet, and he said those guys are great guys and a great band. Talking about you guys, so the respect is there from from Striper as well. Well, man. Last question for you guys: What's your favorite song to play live, and what's your favorite song? Uh, what's your favorite song to play live? What's your favorite album that you ever did? Oh gosh, this change this changes like the wind for me. It's tough. I get you know. I keep coming back. I think my, one of my favorite songs to play live because it is so much fun is never be the same. Mm, yeah, there's just something about that song. You know, everybody in the band is singing, and and, and it's, it's just a fun song, and people are always bouncing up and down. And that's probably one of it's definitely in my top three songs to play live. You know, for me, would be never be the same. I'm not less. How about you? You know, well, the thing about never be the same is it's the end of the show, and it's you've you know it's the culmination. Not that the end of the show is the celebration, but yeah, it is really it's fun. It's fun to do that song. I, I have to agree with michael on that gosh i don't know Favorite. Man, there's, wow they're like all the songs are like your children you know you're just like okay yeah of course they all have something of course um and then there's a few songs that we haven't done live that much that i really that i really enjoy doing right you know i think how about from an album 
standpoint. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I like doing Crucify just because it's so dramatic. And, Great you know, I get to put yeah. a little yeah. tape on and stuff. Right, and right. Cost them out and do my Pontius Pilate thing. I love that. And then going into Messiah, that for me is, uh, I like that aspect of the Blood Good Show, that part. Yeah. Great one-two punch. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, favorite records for me, I mean, I, I don't even know how to come up with that because, you know, like you say, they're like our kids and I have so many emotions yeah. with each record. I, I, I probably going to say it. I, I think Out of the Darkness is still my favorite record. But wow. I love all my, I, I, I love all the records. Yeah. I mean, I really do. But there's something about that record when I put it on, I go, oh, wow, yeah. And I think about the songwriting and being in the studio with Shelton and Les and I, you know, because, you know, David had just quit the band and Les and I had to woodshed that record from from point A to point Z or in England, point Z. Yeah. yeah uh, and and so I, going, wow, we gotta do what are we going to do? And so David. I, you know, I, you know, I have all those attachments to every record in a different way, but there's something about that record that you know, I, it's still my favorite. So there you go. I put it up. <laughs> yeah, top of the mountain is on that. Uh, yep. Top of the mountain is on that, and yep. uh, I think that that's, yeah, that's it's a it's a ballad that I enjoy singing with Mike. Well, guys, one of my favorite uh, obscurities is Vagrant People. What a great oh, oh yeah, yeah. yes, wanted to throw out there. Yeah, great great drum part at the beginning and stuff. But um, like I said, what an honor it is to talk to you guys. And now that you're doing some more shows. Hopefully I'll be able to make a pilgrimage somewhere to uh, come and say hi to you guys in person. Yeah. But um, just a just a thirty three year uh, waiting for this, <laughs> and uh, it was a very cool moment and experience to, to chat with you guys. I really appreciate it. Wow, Chris, you can't you can't pre- tell me as much. We appreciate you uh, turning your head in our direction and giving us this time and opportunity. Man, what a cool thing! We we really really appreciate it, and we're fans. So it's going to be just a blast. And they say, hopefully one of these days we'll run Andy Sarabman Road. That'll be, that'll be more than cool. Yeah, it was great when you said, uh, we'd love to talk and just make sure it's not too early because we're rockers. And I'm like, not only are you rockers, but you're rockers with your kids are growing up. Because I'm a rocker too, but I still got to get up at 630 with my kids for school. <laughs> so- <laughs> yeah, Chris, this, is, uh, this has been an amazing thing uh, for us. So, yeah, and actually, I honestly, again, I, I actually love your band, man got a cool voice and uh you know you should work on your biceps a little more i guess but yeah i was gonna give you a little critique on that i'm gonna give you some workout tips when we hang up (laughs) (laughs) never mind i just saw i just saw a picture of les on instagram where he's singing in the studio and his shoulders are about three times the size of mine so uh bump you up that could be your i uh, love that uh, i love that uh, super bowl thing where that that big wrestler dude or whatever he comes out and he takes his arms off. Did you see that? Takes his arms off. He's all skinny. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a Jason oh, yeah. Momoa Aquaman. Hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah cool. Well, thank you so yeah, much guys. Uh, really appreciate it. And uh, we'll see you down the road somewhere. Right, and God, God bless you. Thank, you, guys. You, thank you. God bless you, man. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye-bye. 